You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Yeah, get it on. Got to get it on. No choice but get on mandate. Get it on. And welcome to CarCast. I'm Adam Carroll. Oh, it's Castrol CarCast. That's right. That's Matt, the moderator, D'Andrea over there. Hello. What's going on, man? Lots yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Oh, boy. We are in uh, England, as you hear this. Uh, could be behind the wheel that 935 right. and going up the driveway. I'm going to go ahead and say the flight was flawless. Yeah. <laughs> no issues at all. Everything was great. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I hope the car's there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I reached out to the guy from uh, Goodwood, but it's always like a day and a half or two worth of uh, delay with the response. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. I got a phone call at 2.30 in the morning from Goldberg, who's there, and he's already making arrangements. I don't think he understands the time difference. <laughs> I, I, I put my ringer a, off, so I see, you know, like I slept through it and I got the voicemail in the morning, but at like 2.35 in the morning, I'm like, God, who called me? What the hell yeah, is this? Did, he's like, hey, bud, it's me. I'm here. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, you know, it's good. It's on brand with the wrestling part, but not on brand with the Jewish part. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I... Uh, it's so funny because I'm I'm insanely acutely aware of that. Like I talked to Nate yesterday, who's already there. Yeah, and I was like eight hours or nine hours, and then of course he had to go like yeah, I don't know eight or nine, and I was like <laughs> I was like what time is it now? You know, so <laughs> yeah. I'll do the math. It's it's yeah. it was one thirty in the afternoon or twelve thirty where I was, so it was easy to do easy to do the math. Anyway. Um, so I am insanely aware of that, even calling the East Coast. Okay, but what about your feeling on texting? Do you feel like texts are meant to be, you just get it when you get it? So if I send you a text at one in the morning, you get it the next morning? Or does your phone next you and it wakes you up and you're like, why did you text me? I am evidently the only person I'm aware of, and I'll answer that in a second. I want to thank uh, Brush Hero and Castrol and Geico. And uh, Podcast One for helping us out with this podcast. I have a wiring that is much different than many people and totally different than uh, Dr. Drew's, which is his. he has a worry, which is he's going to miss an important text or call. I have a worry that I'm going to get an important <laughs> text or call. You see the difference? Yeah. I... When they go, well, what happens if your dad dies or your mom dies? They're like clinging to life. It's like, I don't want that text at 2.45 a.m. I don't want that phone call at 2.45 a.m. Yeah. They're dead. I'll see them in the afterlife or, or tomorrow or whenever at the funeral. Like, I don't care. It's, it's like <laughs> there's nothing I'm going to do about it. I, I, I have a fear of the phone ringing at 3 a.m. So. Yeah. I am one of the only people I know, or maybe not, Max Pata. We have to figure out people's phone etiquette. Uh, my phone is shut off at 8 or 9 o'clock. I just shut it. I, I don't I don't put it on sleep. I shut it off. Right. You don't just mute the ring. I don't mute anything. Yeah. I, I shut my phone off, and I put it in the 
in the living room and I put on a charger. Yeah. Okay. And and if, if people are like, well, what if someone needs to get hold of you? I'm like, well, they never do. <laughs> no one ever needs to get hold of me. But if they did, they'd have to call Lynette. Yeah. Or they could call Matt Finalier and he could drive to my house. Like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not interested. Right. I, I've deemed the amount of emergencies to be next to next to zero. Do you think it's also because um see like like Kalen, he's only known the cell phone. He's only known having his phone on him at all times. Whereas you, you've had the landline. These used to be attached you, to wires. So. Yeah, you've had to go home <laughs> and listen to your messages. <laughs> yeah. And right. like not everybody's able to get a hold of you any second of the day. Well I, Yeah, it I, is, it is, but but Drew is older than me, and that's kind of all he's known, and he can't walk around without I don't know what he does at home, but I've never and I say never, I mean almost never, very rare occasion. The only time I've ever brought my phone in the studio is when we had a car up on Bring a Trailer yeah. and it was going to end <laughs> while I was doing a podcast. I was, was going to say even accidentally. Like, like you wouldn't <laughs> even know you had your phone on you. Yeah. I no, I've never done it. I've, I've the only time it's been accidental. Like I there the phone sits on the table. Yeah. It's not here. The yeah. only time it ever gets into the studio is not accidentally. It would be if somebody said like Oh, I need to, you know, I need something off your phone or something. And then they brought it in and then yeah. it like got set down or something. It's not, ex- nothing is accidental. Like it doesn't go into my pocket and I walk in and go, Oh, oh shit, my phone's, what's, what's ringing? Like yeah. it's, it's where yeah. it, if you go right now, you'll see that it's within a millimeter of where it always is, except mm-hmm. for I handed it to Fondelier and told him to text my dad and tell him I was in Europe. But. That's yeah. I, I don't know. Well, so much of your life is in this studio. So. Well, that's <laughs> and, true. And there's no cell phones required in here. But when someone goes, well, what if there's an emergency? I go, I don't. Then I'll have to find out when I get out of the studio. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Right. Like I, they don't need me to resuscitate my dad or my mom. Uh, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. Also, also uh, just a, a tip for all the single fellows out there. A good move <laughs> I used to do on dates is I would turn my phone off in front of the girl. Mm. And, oh, they love that. Smart, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Another good move is uh, if you're then talking to that girl on the second date, uh, do a move where in the middle of her talking, uh, yeah, you have, yeah, you have. A, hold on, I got to call on the other line for a second, and then you click over, and then you just wait for like a five Mississippi, and then you come back and like, yeah, I just got rid of that person. <laughs> it was nobody, but anyway, what were we talking about? And if they go, who was it? You go, not you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see Chris walking in and go, by the looks of you, this is going to be a good date. I'm going to go ahead and shut this phone off right now. Smart. <laughs> for you. For you. I'm going to do this far. All right. The great <laughs> Pete Brock is going to be calling in, chiming in. We're going to talk yeah, to him. Yeah, I'll him on the line right now. Uh, I'll tell you about Brush Hero. No more backache and uh, wet, scraped up knuckles. 100% water-powered, no batteries or electricity required, just a standard garden hose. This is a great item. It's a great gift. We talked about it as like a Father's Day gift, but just get it for yourself. I mean, when you're cleaning those rims, when you're cleaning that truck, when you're, you have a delicate brush and for the tough, stubborn stuff, and they have a uh, – oh, sorry, they have a uh, rough-grade one for the tough stuff, and then they have like a delicate one for, uh, you know, paint and the chrome and stuff like that. Extensive line of accessories. Uh, you can clean virtually anything. Boats, barbecues, yard tools, patio furniture, RVs. Mm-hmm. You can get it at Amazon, Costco, Walmart. 
Buy direct at brushhero.com. Get 10% off your entire order when you use the code CARCAST. Plus, orders over 40 bucks ship for free. It's a great you've, – you've, I think you've seen it. I've seen it on Shark Tank, but it's it's a great innovative design, and it's really cool because it's like a little turbine hooks up to the hose. I describe it as like it looks like a big Dremel tool with a brush on the end. You know, it's kind of a stick with the yeah, you know, it spins on the. It end. works. So uh, so do me a favor and uh, check out our good friends over at Brush Hero. All right, so uh, let's see, Pete Brock. We're going to talk to him. We're going to see him up at uh, Monterey. He's on line one, Pete. Hey, what's going on, Adam? Hey, Pete. Good to talk to you, my friend. Um, oh, it's great to hear you. What's up? I was just uh, <laughs> doing an interview with a guy in GQ magazine, and uh, he was talking about Z cars, and he's like, I spoke to a guy named Pete Brock. Yeah. Have you know- That's uh, Lu- Luke Zalaki or something, right? Yeah, and he's like, do you know Pete Brock? And I was like, he sent me an email yesterday. I'm going to talk to him in 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. God, what a small world. No kidding. Because uh, that guy was going to hook you up. BRE, of course. I, I, um, I love that BRE has become sort of the – I think it's the industry standard – for racing cars from the 60s and early 70s. And I, I've seen it on so many T-shirts. I've seen the Pete Brock, you know, livery, BRE livery. Every time you watch one of those Japanese import car shows, they have the poster in the back yeah. with the Roadster and the and like, Z what, and the 510. What's more cloned on the 510 than, like, the BRE livery, <laughs> like the BRE stripes? I, I don't know. It's Look, imitation it's is It's in the, your logo now. Imitation is the <laughs> well, sincerest form of flattery, right, Pete? <laughs> It, it is, and, you know, it's really an honor that people, you know, not just in America, but all over the world have uh, have picked up on that livery, and it belongs uh, not just to uh, to Nissan, but now uh, all sort of, uh, you know, racy Japanese cars. That's, that's the signature that says, hey, uh, it's a performance look to the car. Well... I I've I've always sort of I don't know uh, but let let's see if we can get this on the record. I tell people Pete Brock is a designer and a graphic artist and a sort of visionary and a car guy, but I don't I don't look at him as just a car guy. I look at him as a, just a, as a designer. I always in a thought weird artist. Way. I always thought cuz I always remembered <clears throat> Art Center, uh you know, Art Center history and designer and and when people ask me, I I would say I think of you know, uh, uh, Corvette, uh, split window, and 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 Shelby, and because every time uh, Pete, you come over here, you come over to like the Roadster or something, and you tell me something new about the thing that I didn't know about, right? Like the front air dam, <laughs> right? Uh, he's like that. that but you're still, illegal. you're now still mentioning, are. you're still talking about cars. I want to know if Pete thinks of himself as a car guy first or a designer first, like a Leonardo da Vinci. I, I think you have to put a slash between them. I'm a, I'm a car guy designer. I mean, I love all kinds of of cars and people who innovate and think about it. And, you know, when you go back and look at the whole history of the development of the automobile, you can see that passion in certain individuals all the way back to the early 1900s that were so excited about the things that they were doing. And, uh, you know, I I can hope that I was you know, in that group of guys that have progressed through through history and time that will be remembered as people who really cared about 
making automobiles exciting. We should tell you that uh, Pete is uh, currently putting uh, design touches on the uh, Shelby GT350R continuation series. Matt and I were talking about this uh, off the air. I love the GT350R. I must say, for, for a guy who uh, rails against a lot of Mopar guys and that kind of stuff, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of, of you know challengers and stuff like that. The GT350, I like, and the GT350R, I really like. I think there were only 34 of them 36, or 36 of them. I can never remember. But uh, that's a good race car. And I believe Haggerty well, I, has them priced at like somewhere around seven hundred thousand, about a million bucks, uh, based on the power. It's incredible. Haggerty. Yeah. So tell us I about this story. Yeah, I have to tell you a little funny story about that. Uh, you know, when when we were um, sort of tasked with developing that car uh, by Lee Iacocca, you know, and uh, he gave the project to Shelby and said, you know, we want to take this secretary's car and and turn it into something that uh, has got the uh, the chops of the Corvette that we can go out and compete with. That uh, was it was really a, a a fun project. But like usual, you know, the first thing I asked Carol, I said, you know, you know, what's our budget? <laughs> you know, he says, well, I really haven't given us any <laughs> any budget. <laughs> so the, the whole thing was, how do we make this thing look really racy? So I had designed uh, several add-on pieces to the body. Um, a whole new front balance, of course, a hood scoop, uh, the, uh, the quarter windows, you know, and a few things on it. And we presented all of this stuff to the guys at Ford and told them, number one, how much it would cost to do it, which, which really wasn't a tremendous amount of money. And the other thing was a timeline because we had to have the car finished in time for the first race at Green Valley, Texas. And uh, they looked at all this kind of stuff and said, oh, God, that's pretty expensive or whatever. And, you know, is there a cheaper way to do it? And I said, well, I think the, the thing that would really identify it for us is I'd like to put two racing stripes over the top of it. And I showed him the picture of my 46 Ford that I run in high school that I had taken the inspiration of from Briggs Cunningham because I was in love with what Briggs Cunningham. He'd taken the American racing colors to Le Mans. And I said, you know, this would be great. And they looked at that like I was out of my mind. They said, oh, no no way that we're ever going to put stripes over the car. That was stupid. It looks like a skunk or something, you know. <laughs> so I said, well, the alternative is we can spend more money and, and build a new front balance and do all this stuff. And they thought, you know, those stripes look pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we got the stripes. It was, it was, the, uh, it was the second choice because it was cheapest. And it has now become, again, a signature livery that says performance that's copied by every uh, American automobile manufacturer that, that wants to say, uh, this is our performance uh, version of our production car. Well, the thing that's, that's so, oh, every time I look at one of my BRE cars, I find something, and this sort of side chevrons, to me, the most unique thing about that livery is taking the roof and cutting it in half with the paint and then doing the yep. painting on the roof. That's yeah. When you look at other cars, you go, oh, that car's got the stripes going down the middle or this one's off center or that one's got kind of the chevrons down the side or whatever. The thing that makes BRE so interesting to me is the roof 
and that the chevrons on the side change colors and that the BREs in red, but the Datsuns in black or white. I, I can't recall uh, white. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That those are the yep. little things that kind of make it interesting to me. But for some reason, the roof is the most dynamic. <laughs> why? Uh, who? Wh- it's you know why I love it so much because it's like why would anyone have an idea to do that? Yeah. Well, for, first of all, is in 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 working with Mr. Kawayama, who was one of the great uh, automotive executives that I've ever worked with, and I've worked with some really top guys, but Kadayama was such a gentleman, and he was such an enthusiast, and he was so quiet, and yet he gave us free hand to do these things, and I said, you know, my indication is, you know, that we want to present this car as something that will be accepted by Americans, so that was, first of all, was to put the red, white, and blue livery on it, which would make it more acceptable, because this was, you know, just a few years after World War II, and there was a lot of consideration in Japan if they were coming over here, were they going to be accepted or not or whatever. So that was one thing. The next thing was in looking at the car, it had to be able to photograph it from any angle and have identity on it. And one of those things is a, you know, a, a high-angle high shot. And if you had that roof designed that way, it instantly you could see what the car was, no matter where it was on the track, you know, because if it was on the banking at Daytona or wherever it was, that was our car. And that was the main thing, is that no matter how it was photographed or how we changed the livery, because, you know, as we know, as we went along, we changed that livery from red, white, and blue to blue, white, and red to blue and white, and even to that new car that you just got that went to Jamaica that was, you know, white and yellow. And uh, so that livery was really um, adaptable to any of their cars, and yet it still said BRE, and that, of course, said said Datsun. Well, that brings us to the subject of me. So uh, <laughs> let's take a deep dive into me and BRE. Uh, first, I should tell people the website, bre2.net. Great website. Lots of vintage old photos, uh, bits and pieces memorabilia t-shirts i mean it's it's all there and it's all curated and it's so nice to see this thing i i I don't say rising from the ashes but you know if you would have said to pete or me in 1990 hey bre is going to be stronger in 2018 than it is now i i I love that story yeah and amazing it's great and I and it's great to see Japanese cars come on strong, and I think I'll be the the world's largest owner of BRE cars. Uh, I think I already am because well, of all classic Japanese racing cars. I mean, what you've done with Bob Sharp's cars from the East Coast. I mean, you have been so visionary in knowing what is coming and going to be important for uh, historic and vintage racing. I mean, you've got it all. Well, I have some really great pieces, and I'm I'm really I've always been a fan of the Japanese race cars, Datsun specifically, and Nissan. When people looked at them as sort of junk or '80s junk or '70s junk or yeah. sort of non, people looked at Japanese race cars as a non-collectible vehicle for a long yeah. time. They, they weren't even welcome in Monterey for the Rolex Historics, like not that long oh, ago. That's correct. You know, they right. didn't even want Absolutely. Japanese cars to shy. race there. 
Yeah, now they were shunned, as Pete says, and now now they're having a renaissance, which is which is awesome. I, I did it because I liked them, but I also had a feeling of, come on, these cars won so many races, you can't yeah. just sort of turn your nose up at them. But uh, so, Pete, well, thing, yes, go ahead. Yeah, the thing that surprised the people at, in, at Scramp, of course, in the track up there, is that when they finally decided to do this, the response has been so great that it's going to be one of the biggest turnouts that they've ever had up there. They didn't know what kind of a following was out there for Japanese cars, and they're coming from all over the world. I mean, it is a major, major change. Well, now Nissan's going to be the mark over there, and I'm going to be there with the Newman GT1 championship car, and of course, uh, Pete Brock's going to be there, and John Morton, and we're going to do a car cast, and I'm going to have the Hino there. So let's tell us... (laughs) I want to know about the Hino. Tell us uh, definitively... (laughs) Okay, so here's... You tell us how many BRE cars were produced and uh, and the Hino and what exists today, to your knowledge, Pete Brock. There's only three of the original five cars that we built. And, um, five tens. You've got two. Yeah, five tens, yes. And then we made two 240Zs. And uh, only one of those still exists. And then, of course, the car that Randy Jaffe has, the new, the 46 car, is about 80% of the original car because he went back and got the original wreck and has rebuilt it completely. And it is pristine. It is as nice as is any race car that we ever put on the track. So you'll be able to see our 46-240Z with John Morton driving the car yeah. at Laguna this year yeah, as well. And he's going to... He's, yep. re- he's very fast it's, in that car. I, we saw him at oh, Road Atlanta. Amazing. Yeah, we saw him at Road Atlanta. He was very fast. We saw him at uh, Laguna Seca as well driving that car. So wait, there's two 240s? Well, there's two 240s. One exist and the other exists to 80 percent of the original then how many five tens well we made five tens and of course there's only three of them left of the number 46 car which is still owned of course by nissan okay and then you've got the other two um one the road to mexico and the role of the two roadsters still exist as well yes right but of the of the two uh two of the five five tens uh, when went to Puerto Rico and was raced until it just, you know, turned to dust down there. And then the other one went to Mexico to a, a real heavy uh, a racing guy down there named Tony Menchaca who ran the car. And what's really interesting is because they didn't have a small sedan class down there. They just kind of ran everything together. Uh, that 510, the number 68 car, had to run Overall, against all the Mustangs, all the Corvettes, and, and anything that they could bring out there. And he ran it for two years and won overall every time. They finally banned the car and said, okay, you can't bring it out anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the, He sold the car, yeah. and the first time the guy knew took it out, trashed it, and crashed it. And that was the end of it. Wow. So what is the story with the brass tag cars because one of my cars has a brass tag the other doesn't i know there's some 2.5 trans am cars uh i also have the different drummer 510 if that sounds familiar to you and yeah that car has some trans am history but no brass tag so how did the brass okay. tag work 
the brass tag was what was put on by the SCCA during the official Trans Am series. If you were ran in that series during that period of time, it got a brass tag. The second car that does not have the brass tag was built for a Nissan dealer in Jamaica, and he was going to run it in the Caribbean series, which was which was not a 2.5 series, so it never got a brass tag. But the car had every detail built into it, just like one of our real Trans Am cars. So I have uh, the guest car, the Bobby Allison car, and then this new yellow one. Uh, Why is it yellow? That was the color that he wanted to do with it. Um, It was a customer choice on it. It still has the BRE livery on it. But uh, he ran that car uh, down there, and then he also ran it up in Florida several times, which I only found out recently that he brought it up to Florida and ran it uh, in several races, you know, uh, SCCA races up there at that time. But, of course, the 2.5 Series was over, uh, and it, it, it never got a brass tag. It was the last of the cars built. So of all the details, it probably has, you know, the best finish of all the cars. Because you guys had worked out a few few kinks at that yep. at that point, yep. um, all the refinements that had gone the early ones went into that car that you have. So in the in the road going world, not the Baja world, BRE has two roadsters. I have those two roadsters. Yeah, one of them's yep. put back together. The other one's in the process. Uh, they're okay. They're five five tens, but two of them are are gone. And then the other one's in the Correct. museum. And then I have the, the two. And then there's Hino, which is yeah. the transport truck, which I own as well. Right. How, well, tell really us the, the story whole, of that. The whole beginning of Japanese cars running in the United States really began with Hino. And Hino, of course, in the United States is only known for their trucks. But in the early, early days uh, before Hino was acquired by the Toyota, uh, for their truck uh, uh, building capabilities. They had a small division, and they wanted to come into the United States with a very high-quality built small car. You know, I mean, I'm talking Porsche quality is what they were talking about. So they had a visionary leader. and uh, There were only two Japanese companies that were led by a single person. One was Honda, and the other one was Hino. All the rest of them were run pretty much by a board with a big consensus of how they're going to move. And it was that that singular visionary uh, quality of, of uh, the leaders of both Honda and, and Hino that enabled them to reach out and go several years ahead. So they came up with this idea of building this pretty little car. They went to, uh, to Italy and had the body designed for it, so it was a neat little car. And then we brought it over to the United States, and they also sent a Hino transporter, which was the very first Hino that was ever brought into the United States in truck form, and that was our transporter for the race cars. Oh, so it was a Hino Hino transport to transport Hino's, Hino race car. Our Hino race cars, that's correct, yes. And then, of course, we have... After uh, Hino was acquired by Toyota and the car program was shut down, uh, we continued to use that to you know to haul our Datsuns with. So, Tell and us. then one of the things was it didn't have enough power you know for the American highways and stuff. 
<laughs> so we took the three liter diesel out of it and we put a Cadillac V8 in it. Who put that Cadillac V8 in it? Uh, we did that at our shop. Um, it wasn't uh, a Max Belchowski special. No, uh, it wasn't a Max. Uh, I think that uh, George Boskoff and our team uh, did it. We might have done it up at Max's because I often did stuff with Max, and he was so good on that uh, type of engine swap stuff. So maybe when we were doing racing, I might have had Max do that. I can't quite remember for sure on that. And that he know, I'll I'll let you, I'll tease it because i got to slide in a little casserole love here. But uh, tell yeah. us where that Hino would have physically started. Would it have been in Venice, California, or where it physically was? And then, like, would it drive out to Road Atlanta? Would it drive out to uh, Laguna Seca? Like, where, where would its sort of route be? I'll let you think about that for a second. Uh, Pete Brock, I'll tell you now about Castrol Edge. Tech advances made okay, engines. Uh, they made engines smaller, not like the Hino, and they went bigger with the engines. Bigger. Now yeah. they're going smaller with the engines, but they're asking to get more out of them and <laughs> having to work harder with that motor oil. Castrol Edge has collaborated with Electronic Arts to present an adrenaline-filled driving challenge called Titanium Gamer, and uh, it's a really cool video. I've watched it. You guys can check it out online. It's a uh, it's uh, called the Need for Speed. Well, it was. Uh, it's called well, Titanium. I, I eat that for breakfast every morning. It gives me great energy. Yeah. <laughs> Titanium Gamer is the name of it, uh, but uh, it's inspired by the Need for Speed video games. You can check it out at Castrol USA YouTube page. So, uh, Pete Brock, where where would that Hino have been based? Yeah, you had the big car hauler too. So I'm wondering what was the story with the Hino? How was that used? Well, our shop was in El Segundo. Um, uh, you know, just on the south side of uh, the LAX airport, and that's where we built all of the BRE cars uh, for that whole period, and, you know, even the transporter, the Hino transporter at that time, and we worked out of there, and wherever we went, you know, whether we went back into Colorado or uh, back east or, or, you know, up to the races up in the northwest or whatever, uh, the Hino carried, uh, you know, one of our race cars. So it, it uh, that was where I think when we first really decided that, you know, we really needed some horsepower because, you know, going up some of those grades on 101 heading up north, uh, you know, the thing would go down to our, God, I think our top speed was like 20 miles an hour going up some of those. Oh, so wow. as soon as we got <laughs> back, we said, we got to change this and, and put the big V8 in it so that we could, we could really move with it. What? Uh... And that's the same. Yeah, so what via? We know it would have transported the roadsters around. I've seen pictures of that. What other? Yes, would uh it have transported? Well, we would have had uh, we had the two forty Zs in it at at one time. This is before we started uh, doing the five tens, because by the time we got the program to run the five tens, we were going to run usually three cars at a time. And that simply required us to have a big 40-footer, you know, with elevators in it so that we could carry three or four cars uh, within it. And that's when we switched over to do it. But we still continued to run the Hino on a, you know, single event. If we were going out to the NHRA drags or something like that, uh, we'd take the car out. And I think uh, one of your 510s uh, set some records for that car, the NHRA uh, drag class as well. I'm... Uh... 
I'm excited. Uh, you know, tra- transporters weren't really something that people thought about in the past. Uh, the transporters have sort of uh, covered the same ground that Japanese race cars have, which is a few years ago. It's like, so what? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> now it's kind of like, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's got its own market now. You start to see like a few start showing up at like a Barrett-Jackson Scottsdale or something. And you're like, well, they're kind of cool. And oh, then, yeah. And people started using them as like, well, it kind of fills out the collection. I've got everything. i got to use it now. Well, I think but, Pete, Pete, as a design guy, would say like that Mercedes flatbed one like from yeah. the 50s. Uh, or yeah. Uh, that's yeah, some of the coolest. Great. That's some cool. of the coolest design. Like, forget about snake and mongoose, right? Yeah. Like, there's their their call. Well, call that's hearts. cool, but like the Mercedes one is flat out. I'd put that up against any Ferrari or Porsche, just in design. Yeah, it's like, a cool looking. Oh, it's cool looking. Fabulous, rig. fabulous piece. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, if you had that a car hauler, it'd yeah. be worth three million bucks, right, or something <laughs> nutty, right? Absolutely. I mean, even, uh, you know, the original uh, uh, Shelby car hauler that we used in Europe, you know, uh, gosh, those things have been brought back, and so the uh, uh, big Ferrari haulers have been brought back, and now, I mean, they are so, they tell so much about the history when you go to any vintage event, because you can see that thing pull in with all the proper cars on it, you know, whether it's Ferraris or Cobras or, you know, whatever we were running at that time. Uh, or not we, but whoever the team was that running those cars, just it, it brings back that whole era. Well, Pete, we could talk and talk and talk, but we got to save some for uh, Monterey for when Monterey, we do the yeah. podcast there and yeah. get you up on stage. God, and, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, so just a reminder uh, CarCast live at the Rolex Historics in Monterey. We're going to be talking with the guys from Nissan, and we're going to talk, I believe we're going to be talking with Pete Brock and John Morton. I so, am. Uh, I love it. Could it could turn into a royal battle. And uh, Pete, Pete and I will talk off the air, too, because we've got a lot to get to. Uh, Pete, great to okay. speak to you as usual. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great. Call any time. We'll talk soon. The great might, uh, Pete Brock. I yeah. must say, Pete throws the best party. Oh, yeah. We go oh, to yeah. every SEMA year. Uh, we go to his party at his house. I say, look, uh, <laughs> youngsters, good example of how to live your life. Yeah. Pete Brock, man. That guy just goes at it every day. But his house is gorgeous. Yeah, and yeah. The whole thing is like, great you got to go. You got to see. And it's and it's a who's who of 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 great people at that party. And uh, uh, there's there's two guys that show up everywhere. We always run into Bo Bachman everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Ed Justice Jr. Yep. He's everywhere. You can see his teeth from across the room. <laughs> yeah, a great uh, view up there. And he's up uh, up in in Nevada, but he's up above the strip, and he's got a great view. Yeah, he could see, you could see it like from his backyard in his right. pool. I'll tell you guys a little bit about Geico, though. Everybody's got a to-do list. You can drop off your dry cleaning. You can pick up some milk, and now you can add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance to that list. You don't have to pick up or drop off anything. If you just go to geico.com, and then in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. So if you want some extra money in your pocket, this is the most rewarding to do. <laughs> the most rewarding to do you can do today. Go to geico.com. Geico. All right. Uh, so like what Pete. else? Yeah, we I like Pete. Pete. And you know, to, to touch back on those Shelby recreations that they were talking about, it's, it's sort of this original group, this original Venice crew or something they were calling it. And uh, I think they made 36 original GT350Rs, so they're going to recreate 36 new ones for like 250000 a piece, 
But what I like about it is, is they bought, they brought Pete in to say, Pete, now's your chance. What were some of the things you weren't able to do back then that you want to do now? And if you think of the R model valance with the big hole in the front for the oil cooler, he's like, well, I, I wanted that design, but I wanted actually the bumper to go across in a different shape, and mm-hmm. I wanted like vertical slats for the for the uh, for in, the air independent ducts. rear now and the independent rear. And this the the design of this independent rear was called the T five. Uh, which is always confusing because there's a T5 transmission. Right. The T5 independent rear has been – that design has been floating around for a long time. A few people have recreated it. There's a company out there that has the original like sketches for it and sells it as an independent rear. Uh, but now it's made its way into these cars as well, at least as an option, I believe. Um, well, very it, cool stuff. Yeah, and for those of you who are like, well, how's it work in the collector world? Well – Companies are doing continuations, and Shelby's done a little of that. And now Jaguar did it a year or two ago. Yeah. And and uh, if the answer is, is it going to be worth as much as the real car or whatever? It's like, no. No. That's not the, the, but the real car is about a million bucks. Wrong question. Uh, <laughs> the question is, is will it go up in value? Uh, I think the answer is yes. I think it will. And I, 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 there's a limited number and, and all that kind of stuff. So in general, when a when a company does it and sort of does it right, um, yeah, I think that's a good car, good investment, a good story, and uh, it's nothing to hang your head about. Now, does it get you into the Monterey Historics with that car? No. Is it the coolest piece at uh, Cars and Coffee? Probably. Yeah. So and that's take the it thing. from there. It, it is based off of the R model, but it is a street legal version. Right. Right. So anyway, it seems cool. And it is nice to see that they brought together sort of the original group. And, and now is the chance. Like you don't have many more chances to go to somebody like Pete Brock and go, how would you want to have done it back in 65? Right. Do it now and let's, right. let's, let's finish it. So it's a good sort of bookend to, to that story of those 350s. Well, I'm uh, proud to say I, yeah, Pete's numbers were correct. Now they've done some Baja 510s and some Baja 240Zs. Um, but in the road racing department, uh, the, there's I have the largest collection of BRE stuff, and there is it, there isn't really a second place because second place is just Nissan with one car, the most important car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with car I'd trade all my BREs for. <laughs> but uh, I also always forget that the five tens came last. You know yeah. that that it was the roadsters, then the Z's. Yeah. Then I forget that too. This is the only time we've had a guest calling, and I took notes as he took as he spoke. Too. Because uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to write some stuff down about the Hino and and what he was saying about it. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, Pete's got those stories. I'm glad I asked where did it go or how did it work. And the Max Belchowski one, he was pretty famous for building race cars and building doing engine swaps and, and doing yeah. stuff like that and it made sense i'd always heard that he did it but i think have you ever seen the little hino race car that he talked about that yes. never really I've went seen, on to do i've much, seen or? pictures of that and the samurai i guess yeah. I, i've sort of seen pictures of it um it's interesting that the bre hino had such a long life with pete and his and his racing team you know, yeah. this wasn't a one season thing. This he pretty much had it the whole time. Yeah, uh, Matt. Uh, uh, 
Max Pat is looking for picture of the car. The thing that's interesting about the Max is that the Hino. I don't know if that's the one they're talking about or not. But anyway, it's a BRE Hino. I don't. Oh, there it is. Yeah, All right, the same. Uh, we're looking at it's a cool little race car. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it. if you show no, me the what, what's show the me one the front that... of it. I've seen it down at the. Uh, I think I've seen it down at the at the. Uh, Car the be uh, everything Pete Brock touches has a little flair to it, yeah. you know, like the kerchief he would wear around his neck. Um, all right, Max Pata, <laughs> you can take it down. The, the point is, is it, it was interesting because I I thought that engine swap was by Maxwell Chassis. Now the yeah. reality is, is we read that somewhere. Somebody well, told us. Well, here's probably how it worked. Yeah, Pete did business with Max or worked with Max or whatever. He knew that Max knew how to swap out an engine. Yeah. But Pete had a shop and his own guys. So it's probably like he went to Max and went like, hey, I want to swap out the Hino with the whatever. Can you take a look at it? You know, Max probably yeah. went like, yeah, put a Cadillac big block in there. You got to right. do the brackets and run the turbo 400 transmission. You'll he might have had or whatever. He or, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So he like probably did what I do with cars and with building, which is like, I don't have somebody do it. I do it, but I talk to them. I bring sure. them over until they tell me what to do. And then we do it because we can. Why would he take it to his shop? He has his own shop where he can do yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. he wants. I think that was it. All right, Brush Hero. What do we got? <laughs> yeah. No more backaches and wet, scraped-up knuckles. The Brush Hero is 100% water-powered. There's no batteries or electricity required. Just a standard garden hose. The starter set comes with two brush heads. There's a soft one for sensitive surfaces like paint and chrome and a tough one for serious muck. There's an extensive line of accessories to clean virtually anything. You said it before. Boats, barbecues, yard tools, patio furniture. RVs. Animals. RVs. <laughs> RVs. Maybe a horse. Who knows? You can get the you can get the brush hero at Amazon, Costco, Walmart, or you can buy it direct at brushhero.com and get ten percent off your entire order if you use the code CARCAST. That's ten percent use the code CARCAST. And all orders over forty bucks will ship for free. So check that out at brushhero.com. Love me some brush hero. All right. Uh we will check in with you guys from uh, Europe, yes. where we're at as we speak. Also, uh, you guys should check out uh, Collider on Podcast One. Collider Network is now on Podcast One. and Get your fix for all of your pop culture needs over there. And uh, give it a nice rate and review. And check it out at uh, Podcast One and uh, Apple Podcast. Again, we'll get you uh, caught up and keep you guys check with social media. And Matt's going to be tweeting and doing all that stuff. Yep. We'll uh, get you guys all caught up. And you can go to adamcrolla.com if you want to find out live shows, where I'm going to be, and that sort of thing. Until next time, this is Adam Crawler for uh, Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. CarCast Show.